Today is Wednesday, December 8th. The year is 2021. This is No Easy Answers, and I am your host, Jules Taylor. And today, like all days, I have no easy answers for you. So I am just waking up. Good morning. I don't know what time it is that you're listening to this, but I am just waking up on this uh, Wednesday morning, and I am making coffee. So if you hear some noise in the background and stuff, that's me just prepping this little coffee pot. And I'm doing a re-recording and a re-release of this previous episode that I had called uh, Principles and Heresy. Now, the reason why I called this whole thing Principles and Heresy is because, uh, you know... That was the name of a column that used to be written by Frank Meyer. Uh, Frank Meyer is a guy who uh, grew up, or not grew up, he, he actually, I don't know if he grew up in upstate New York, but I know he lives in upstate New York, which is, you know, close to where I live. I live in Woodstock, New York. It's about two hours north of the city. And um, I, I call this whole thing principles and heresy because Frank Meyer, Frank Meyer was actually... Uh, very important in the Communist Party in the 40s. And when I say very important, he was like number one, number two, or something like that in the party. Like, the guy was like, he was a voice of, uh, of communism, you know? And so, Frank Meyer, uh, what happened to Frank Meyer is that he and his wife were like political theorists. Like, they were basically both communists, but what happened was that Frank Meyer, at some point... Uh, he started reading Frederick Hyatt's The Road to Serfdom. And that ultimately changed his mind to the degree that he not only left, uh, he not only left the Communist Party, right? Um, but he also became uh, a columnist at the National Review, um, which was, you know, the conservative magazine of its time, right? I mean, that's like... We're talking uh, William Buckley Jr., and we're talking, you know, like, that is as conservative as it gets, I would think, right? So anyway, so the point is, is that what a crazy transition, right, to go from one of the leaders in the Communist Party to being a person who is not only a friend, but like a confidant to William Buckley Jr., and um, so... How the fuck does that happen? It's like, well, we're kind of watching a little bit of that sort of stuff go down. Now, I don't want to make any comparisons of importance, like, to the people that I'm talking about versus the importance that Frank Meyer Jr. had during his day, right? Um, but listen, man, we got to talk about this patriotic socialism shit. And we got to talk about Caleb Maupin. And we got to talk about Alexander Dugan. Uh, part of the reason why I'm re-recording this is because in the last episode where I started talking about this stuff, one is I didn't get to go into a whole lot of detail about Dugan and uh, sort of the red-brown national Bolshevism shit that's going on, right? Um, and two, I, I did kind of mention some things and names and people in the last uh, episode uh, that I called Principles and Heresy. Um... You know, and I probably shouldn't have disclosed some of that information. So, I, you know, apologies to some people for um, making those uh, disclosures. Uh, anyway, so, um, 
so I want to tell you guys about what I'm witnessing right now is the leftist discourse on Twitter, at least, being a terminally online person, I tend to take notice of these things. Uh, but this discourse, man, has just gone off the fucking wire, man. We have all sorts of people I would not think advocating for positions that are just like, not only like untenable and stupid, but also like historically already been done. You know, so we have someone like a, like a Jackson Hinkle. Jackson Hinkle is a young guy out of Southern California, around San Clemente. I think he, he ran for, like, city council or some stupid shit like that. But anyway, so Jackson Hinkle was like, hey, I'm a communist, and I'm also an American patriot, and, you know, that's the correct line. And So people were like, oh, yeah, man, patriotic socialism, man. That's how we're going to reach the masses. That's how we're going to... It's like, no, you bunch of fucking dumb shits. Patriotic socialism, like... This, this whole thing is not only dumb in the way that, like, like it, you know, I, I want to believe that this patriotic socialism thing is, uh, is in service of bringing more people to the, the movement from the masses or reaching more people in the masses. And I get it, man. Like, you know, patriotic socialism might allow you to speak to you know, someone who is, like, a veteran, who hates his boss, who, uh, is, like, the white working class, uh, I, I get that, man, and I, like I said, I want to believe that this patriotic socialism nonsense is in service of, uh, you know, reaching more people out in the masses, right, but this has already been historically, like, tried, man, this was Earl Browder, who was a friend and confidant of Frank Meyer. <laughs> Earl Browder fucking did this in the party, and he left the party, you know? Not only did Earl Browder leave the party, but the guy he was confiding in, Frank Meyer, ended up, you know, working for the National Review and writing columns called Principles and Heresy. And maybe he titled, you know, his column Principles and Heresy based on a little bit of, like, I don't know, like, remorse that he felt for being a fucking traitor, you know, I don't know, um, but, yeah, so we all, we're all aware of Browderism, and we don't need Browderism 2.0, but this was a wild sort of thing that started happening, and this started happening, you know, this has been part of a longer timeline and slide than I think some people realize, um, because, you know, it's really like, it's like four or five dudes online that are causing this rhetoric, causing this 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 discourse to surface, you know. Uh, the reason why people are debating patriotic socialism is because of this jackass fucking Jack, Jackson Hinkle, which, you know, I did get after him on Twitter. He never bothered to give me a worthy response. Um, he didn't block me, but he didn't, you know, respond to any of my criticisms either, which is fine, you know, like, if I was him, I wouldn't want to talk to me either, because when you approach, the funny thing about communists is that if they're worth their salt, they can actually, like, defend their positions, but, you know, it, it, you quickly learn that uh, these communists, quote, I'm using air quotes, communists are really used to arguing with liberals or anarchists or, 
you know, somebody else who isn't sitting on a mountain of philosophy text and theory text and critical theory and history and economy and all, you know, the, the stack of textbooks that communists have to lift themselves up by is enormous and it's never ending, right? So anyway, so Jackson Hinkle says this shit about I'm an American patriot and I'm a communist and and this discourse sort of caught on like wildfire, but it, you know, also promoting this sort of line before Jackson was Caleb Maupin. Like Caleb was always pushing this sort of like socialism with American characteristics, which is just like settler socialism to me in a lot of ways. Um, but this whole line started about a year ago, man. When Peter Coffin started, um, Peter Coffin is an online guy that makes video uh, documentaries, video essays, and I've had him on the show before, and, you know, like, that was, he was, like, probably my, my first, like, big guest that I had on the show, um, and I consider Peter a friend, even if we don't agree on a lot of stuff these days, you know, I think uh, I probably agree with Peter on a lot of stuff, but I think that where we, where we split is probably too much, you know, like our differences are probably too far apart and on a lot of things at this point, um, namely, um, free speech, the land back narrative and patriotic socialism are probably three different things that I would part ways with Peter on completely. So, um, but about a year ago, I want to say, Peter came out with this uh, video about free speech, uh, where he was, and it's not so much about the free speech issue itself as much as it is about, Peter was trying to reclaim free speech on behalf of leftists. Like, reclaim free speech as an issue, as a topic that the left should, uh, should have. And I, I'm like, you know, that's not the way this works, man, and it, it you can see the, the replication of this kind of approach of like trying to reappropriate a topic for the left. You can kind of see that by way of like patriotic socialism trying to retake the American flag or reclaim that symbolism. And that's just like not the way this works, right? I mean, basically like you can't inscribe, like one person themselves does not inscribe meaning into iconography, right? So... I just, uh, I just poured my first cup of coffee here, so, like, I will probably get more articulate, let's hope, as the more coffee I drink, right? So, um, yeah, so, it doesn't work that way. You can't just, like, I don't know, the stars and stripes represent something, uh, that, that's not good, right, to, uh, the global south, to immigrants, to people who, I mean, yeah, there are people that look at the United States is like the shining city on the hill and they think the United States is like their key to having a better life and all that. But for many people, the American dream is the American nightmare. And you know, there's so much discontent and shit in this country that, you know, one questions what it is exactly there is to be proud about in this country. Like, are they, what are they proud about? Being number one, being number one in what? I mean, there's a great Michael Parenti, uh, speech uh, on patriotism called patriotism versus super patriotism and he's like yeah like what is there to be happy about what is there to be proud of like 
Are we proud of that we're number one? What are we? What are we number one in? Are we number one in technology? No. Are we number one in trade? No. Are we number one in? Anyway, so he goes with this whole rhetoric of like, are we number one in this? No. Are we number one in that? No. And eventually he gets to the point where he's like, you know, a sort of patriotic love for country is a love without any content, is what he says. <laughs> like a love for a flag, which is a rag that you put at the end of a stick, right? There's no love with content there. Uh, and that's what a lot of this flag-waving analysis is. It's like it's content without analysis, you know. It's not class analysis, it's flag-waving analysis, you know. It's like somehow waving a flag and being proud of this country is something that they think is befitting communist. When, you know, this country has a long history of murdering communists. Uh, so... This country is very anti-communist. And uh, there's nothing that pisses off a white working class person more than telling them that you're a communist. Is they'll spit out, you know, all these sort of uh, black book of communism statistics, victims of communist foundation bullshit, where they'll tell you 500 bajillion people are dead and Stalin was worse than Hitler and all that other shit, right? So we know about all this. Why you would have any inclination to be proud of this shit is like i said i want to believe this is in service of bringing more people into the movement i want to believe that this is in service of attracting more people out of the masses and and i you know i we're all trying to strategize i get it you know um but one thing is that like when you i mean I see a lot of hubris and not a whole lot of humility coming from guys that pick up Marxism and, you know, identify as communists. And what I mean by, like, you know, no humility and hubris is that, like, people think they're going to make a fucking, I don't know, they're like, they're going to add something to historical materialism on day one, right? Like, first of all, that's, like, that's really abiding by, like, the great man of history kind of uh, theories, which is not communist at all, like, it goes against a lot of the uh, notions that, you know, liberators aren't a thing that people liberate themselves, right? Um, it goes against the communist notion that people create history, right? That the people are in charge. Not that it's like one person can steward the ship. It's like, we're not, that's not what we do, right? Um, but second of all, like, I mean, the hubris and shit that is shown to, like, bring this stuff up, I mean, this is not the first time someone's thought, hey, man, let's blend American chauvinism with socialism and we'll get more people in a mass movement. Like, that's not the first time. We've already talked about Earl Browder, right? So, like, even thinking this is a viable notion, I mean, it really shows your ass, right? It really shows that, like, one, you're not informed on, like, historical party lines and history and all that stuff, right? Two, it's like, even if you, I mean, I assume these people have done some research, so surely they're aware of Earl Browder, and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this anyway, right? I mean, like, what fucking lack of humility has to be shown for these people to think this is a good idea? Um, so, you know, Jackson Hinkle, right? I want to say this is, like, all in service, patriotic socialism, of bringing more people to the masses, but at the same time, while they're trying to attract people to the masses, while they're hosting this bullshit general strike forum, 
you know, uh, they're also doing, Jackson is also like taking jabs at like huge swaths of the working class. Like he also tweeted something like how teachers and academics and Netflix writers and nurses aren't part of the working class. So I, so I, I don't believe this is in service of attracting to more people to the masses, um, more people from the masses, more people to the movement, because why would you be taking swipes at large swaths of the working class at that point? Why would you be intentionally creating the division that would um, cause a bunch of, you know, upset shit happening in the working class? Like, you don't want to, if you're looking to attract the working class, you don't start by saying like, hey, you're not part of the working class. I mean, that's just really crazy to me. So, this whole patriotic socialism thing, we need to talk about Caleb Maupin, because I came across a video of Caleb Maupin uh, sitting and being showing a lot of deference to Alexander Dugan. Now, for those of you who don't know who Alexander Dugan is, it's a really dark character, man. Alexander Dugan is a Russian... Uh, public intellectual, philosopher, geostrategist, geopolitical strategist. Um, and supposedly he has like the ear of Putin. And, uh, you know, some of this, some of this, like, I mean, there's a lot of people who would say, oh, it's just Russia phobia, you know? And it's like, no, it's not, I don't buy into the Russia phobia shit. Like no communist should have bought into that stuff. Um, Alexander Dugan wrote a book called foundations of geopolitics and he that is now like that is said to be kind of like russia's manifest destiny like that is their um it's it forms the basis of something called the eurasian movement i, I mean alexander dugan along with a guy named eduard limanov were co-founders of the national bolshevik party and yeah alexander dugan you know, after the fall of communism, he wrote the communist, the Russian communist uh, uh, constitution. But I mean, the guy like uh, Caleb uses that as an excuse, as like a, like a oh, Alexander Dugin isn't a fascist. If you if you look at my my Twitter feed, I have on record uh, basically telling Caleb Maupin that he's sympathetic to Alexander Dugin's views, and him saying that Alexander Dugin is not a fascist. Now, splitting hairs on whether or not we can refer to a co-founder of the National Bolshevik Movement as a fascist, <laughs> that's, I mean, I don't know if that's a hill anyone wants to die on. Um, that's certain, that, that is something that Caleb Maupin has chosen as a perspective, and that is extremely suspect to me. Um, and I'll tell you why it's suspect. Um, so... Alexander Dugin wrote a book called Fourth Political Theory, in which he characterizes uh, liberalism, fascism, and communism as three ideologies that were competing for the chance to modernize, like the chance to be the dominant sort of hegemony of modernity. And, you know, within this, like, sort of triad, there's, like, liberalism is characterized as, like, this centrist sort of, like, prevailing ideology with, 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 with communism and fascism being two uh, symmetrical yet opposite uh, forms of extremism. 
I, I'm not really, I don't really like that characterization, but where I'm going with this is that Dugan's fourth political theory is basically a fancy way of third positioning. Now, third positioning, I mean, I, I don't know if I can define third positioning, but maybe you can extrapolate what I mean by that by understanding what Alexander Dugan means by uh, fourth political theory. Uh, basically, he's trying to combine aspects of fascism, communism, and liberalism into a fourth sort of political ideology that he calls Dasein. Now, he calls this Dasein because Alexander Dugin is uh, a Heidegger scholar. Like, he studied Martin Heidegger, and he's written a few books on Heidegger. And um, the only reason why Alexander Dugin has any sort of presence in the United States is because there's a guy named Michael Millerman who basically at the University of Toronto, he chose to do his dissertation on Alexander Dugan. Now, uh, because of the person that Alexander Dugan is, his history in organizing the National Bolshevik Party, and his uh, reputation of being seen as a fascist, uh, been sanctioned by the U.S. as well, um, because of all that, Professor Ronald Beener, who we had on the show, was doing the uh, PhD supervision of Michael Miller, and Ronald Beener quit out of protest because he realized what was going on here, in that Arctos Publishing, the, the publishing house that publishes the work of Alexander Dugin, including Fourth Political Theory, um, is actually just a white supremacist, white nationalist publishing house that also publishes the works of like people like Jason Giorgiani, people like uh, uh, Julius Evola, right? So like these are really dark characters that we've talked about on the show in the past. Um, but there's a reason why Alexander Dugan is being published here by these, uh, by Michael Millerman and, and, and why this fourth political theory is catching on. It really is just like national Bolshevism with uh, some theory added on top of it. And I bring all of this up uh, because patriotic socialism, to me, greatly resembles third positioning, like third positionism, greatly resembles national Bolshevism, greatly resembles a sort of synergy of national socialism and aspects of communism. And that's basically what I think is happening. I mean, I could be wrong on this. Um, but I want to say that the patriotic socialism aspects of what we're seeing happening in America in this communist discourse, um, basically, like, this whole thing greatly resembles national Bolshevism to me. So, you know, because of that, I mean, I basically, I found this video. There's a great video by... Um, by Socialism for All on YouTube. Um, I'll try and leave a link to that um, and links to this other stuff, links to tweets and stuff like that. Uh, so I, I will leave a link to that Socialism for All video because it basically there is... Caleb Maupin sat down with Alexander Dugan and showed a lot of deference to the man and his ideas. And... You know, the people that I talk to that are 
fans of Caleb Maupin. You know, they they look at him, they're like, yeah, he's the real deal, man. Um, that's what I hear out of He's the real deal. But I'm like, you know, Caleb Maupin, when he sat next to Alexander Dugan, that dude would not even bring himself to say that he's a communist. He said, when it comes right down to it, he's a populist. That's a really scary thing to say, actually, that he's a populist. Um, you know, there are a lot of implications there that are kind of fucked up, right? Um, but, he, but he sat down and he showed great deference to Alexander Dugan and his ideas. He talked about how he read fourth political theory. And before he had read politi- or fourth political theory, he had been called the Duganist as like an epithet, which is like, okay, right? I mean... Basically, what I told Caleb Maupin was like, if you're going to split hairs on whether we can call the co-founder of the National Bolshevik Movement a fascist, um, you know, then like that shows that, you know, I'm not sure why you'd be wanting to split hairs other than maybe being sympathetic towards this guy's views. And Caleb responded to something like, "Uh, well, you know, uh, I don't appreciate the smear by association. And I said, you know, I, I know you also don't appreciate being called a Nazbol, but when you split hairs on, uh, I mean, this is probably why people call you a Nazbol, right? That's probably why people call you, what's short for a national Bolshevik. Um, so we're, I, I, I guess all this stuff, principles and heresy, right? Um, You know, there are certain... Communism is not like a bunch of boxes to check off, right? Communism is not a bunch of views that you have to check off to make sure you hold certain positions on certain topics. I understand that. Um, and I understand that, you know, there are people like... Um, if you research uh, Chantal Mouffe and Ernesto Laclau, like these are scholarly people who broke with Marxism. And I'm very curious about like Chantal Mouffe and Ernesto Laclau's. Um, I'm very curious about what their break with Marxism actually looks like as they, you know, analyze the contemporary conditions that give rise to certain aspects of society. And they, you know, use their brain and historical materialism to put together, you know, a strategy for a people's movement. Like, you can break with Marxism. I get it, man. That's I, We are living through some strange times and it calls for some strange methods, right? Okay. But you can't just resort to shit that historically has been proven as the incorrect line, shit that's already been extricated from the party. Um, and you can't just like mimic national Bolshevism as a modification to Marxism and still you call yourself a communist. Like, that is some traitorous shit that is going on with, like, you know, telling people to champion the flag of a country that has a long history of killing communists and killing people in the global south. I mean, I I just don't understand and I don't it's not that I don't understand. It's that I don't think there's any way that anyone could be in good faith in these positions and not uh, and not understand that they're violating certain cardinal rules. And if you are going to violate those cardinal rules, 
at least have the courage of your conviction to not call yourself a communist at the end of the day. Because communists don't merge with fascists. Communists don't wave the flag of the uh, single most genocidal and uh, murderous nation this country has, or this world has ever seen. And, uh, you know, communists aren't afraid of full-throated commendations of fascists. You know, that's kind of 101, isn't it, right? Now, I want to say that Frank Meyer, you know, um, going back to Frank Meyer, this guy that lived upstate, he was big in the Communist Party in the 40s. What happened is, is that dude started reading uh, The Road to Serfdom by Frederick Hayek. Now, what I, I, I don't know, I joked about this for a little bit, but I'm starting to think of it more seriously. It's like, uh, man, I wish these patriotic socialists would just like read The Road to Serfdom. And the reason why I say I wish they would just read uh, this work of like market capitalism, right? <laughs> um, is because if Frederick Hayek can convince one of the uh, leaders in the communist parties in the 1940s to leave the party and take up conservatism uh, and start writing columns in the premier conservative magazine of the time uh, to be a confident to fucking, you know, William Buckley Jr., um, yeah, then maybe Frederick Hayek can do us a solid and take these sort of like, you know, uh, these these people on the quote-unquote left, people like Caleb Maupin, people like Peter Coffin, um, like if if Frederick, if, if, if Hayek could make Frank Meyer switch sides and take them out of our circles, right, then maybe Hayek can do us a solid and take someone like a Caleb Maupin with him. Uh, you know, I will say that I still have some hope for Peter coming around because I... You know, he's a friend of mine, he's a very sensible person, um, and I, I have a lot of love for Peter, um, but we really disagree on a lot of this stuff, and so, um, anyway, so I, I think I'm going to pull this thing to a close here, um, I'm about halfway through this cup of coffee, and this is just like a little morning uh, episode redo, um, I hope that wherever you are listening to this, I hope that you are warm, safe, and sound, and surrounded by your loved ones, and everything is good in your world, uh, because everything is terrible, apparently, right? And it's not getting any better. Um, but anyway, um, that's just what I want to say. Principles and heresies. Look up Frank Meyer Jr. and the history of that dude, and uh, how he switched teams after reading The Road to Serfdom, of all fucking things, right? Anyway, uh, take care all my guys, gals, and non-binary pals. See ya.